You're listening to America's Web Radio, your voice in the matter. Hey, good morning. This is Doug Field, CEO of the Institute for Healthcare Consumerism, uh, along with my co-host Brent Macy, Managing Director, and welcome to this week's edition of Healthcare Consumerism Radio. Brent, good morning. Good morning, Doug. How are you? I'm pretty good. Had, had a good Memorial Day. How about yourself? Yeah, it was it was good. It was uh, warm here in Atlanta, you know, but it's uh, it was great barbecuing weather. You had to dodge the pop up uh, thunderstorms, but now, that's, that's now, normal. And now we got them this weekend. They're going to be all over the place. Yeah, that's right. So you, you know, you just got to get the umbrella out for ten minutes, and then sun comes out, mosquitoes come out, and great summer weather here in Atlanta. Exactly. What. There's a lot happening in this space, too. A lot of pop-up thunderstorms happening across, <laughs> That's right. across this market that we'll talk about in a little bit. But just an overview of today's show. We've got an interesting uh, show today and, uh, you know, one of the leading health plans in the business, Cigna, and their key uh, consumerism executive will be talking about their choice fund experience study. You know, they were one of the early leaders in the whole CDHP part of the space. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Technology is playing a big role out there, enabling consumer engagement. And joining us is the CEO of one of the leading technology uh, firms in the marketplace, Silverlink, that works uh, primarily with health plans and uh, uh, providers to help them really improve consumer engagement. And then, uh, you know, one of the leading and one of the uh, uh, probably one of the oldest voluntary and supplemental health companies in the business, Transamerica Voluntary, which is a, a division of Transamerica, uh, Transamerica Life. Uh, we'll talk about where uh, the marketing director, Jeff Caldwell, will join us there and talk about, you know, where voluntary is, uh, particularly sitting, you know, around a true healthcare consumers and program and also, the, you know, what exchangers are going to do to voluntary, just like we talk about what exchanges are going to do to HSAs, you know, the, the survey we uh, released with uh, John Young at Consumer Driven and Todd Berkeley uh, at HSA Consulting was pretty re- pretty revealing about HSA adoption inside exchanges. Inside exchanges, yeah, and, and kind of going back to, you know, the, the guests that are going to be coming on, you know, all these pieces tied together. If you look at, you know, the whole healthcare consumerism space, you know, the you got the, yep. the major medical side of things, and it's going to be uh, – Anna Sabatino, she's actually the regional, you know, segment vice president there at Cigna, and it's going to be really titled "Bending the Healthcare Cost Curve by Shifting Behaviors Instead of Cost." And and what we're going to look at is you've got you know all these major medical benefit plan designs um, from the CDHP plan piece to the PPO to the HMO, and really talking about how you how you can really connect. Um, the pieces together in all those different major medical plan designs to really have an informed consumer. So, you know, as we've talked over the years, Doug, it's not, you know, you can have consumerism even if it's outside of a CDHP plan. You can have consumerism in a PPO, um, you know, if you wish, probably the more effective way is to have it. just a, makes it harder. It, it makes, makes it a little harder, yeah, but you can have it in the other other pieces. And then you look at communication um, and education, big, big piece. It's one of those things that um, a lot of our guests from Forum and Expo here this month in Atlanta were actually coming to us and saying, hey, can we get a little bit more information next year's in next year's conference on communication and education? That's what we're trying to wrap our arms around. So that's going to be very interesting with Stan. And then um, with Jeff, Transamerica, we've always talked about voluntary benefits. That voluntary benefits were really the first consumerism plan that was really out there because in most cases unless it was provided in a group setting you as the employee had to go out and choose 
you know, that, that benefit, whether you wanted dental, whether you wanted vision, um, you got hearing coming into play big yeah, time, critical illness, yep. a lot of moving pieces. So all these pieces tie together, um, and it's going to be a great show. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of movement out there in the market too. You know, we got word uh, this week of the pending acquisition of Evolution One. Uh, uh, what appears to be the leading bit, bidder is United Health Group, and uh, the apparent valuation four hundred million dollars. Great, I mean, great for those guys. Yeah. They're good, good friends of the program and good friends of the institute. I think you know we've always been really high on on you know what what the team's been doing there at Evolution One, and you know you and I were talking about it when the the announcement rolled out on the wire. Said you know that's this is a good validation yeah. to the healthcare consumerism. You know, it market. is. They look right at the the investment for uh, GenStar. Looks right at uh, WageWorks and and uh, Castlight and the valuations those two businesses have have right now, mm-hmm. uh, which is in upwards of that same ballpark and uh, higher. Uh, so uh, I think it's a big statement that healthcare consumerism, you know, is here to stay. I mean, that was kind of one of the big outcomes of our conference that healthcare consumerism was being validated as a legitimate solution to health reform and and how it works with consumers and. You know, all the moving parts, you know, the exchanges are obviously consumerism on steroids like we talk about. But, again, as we talk about, too, that's only health care benefit reform. That's mm-hmm. a new way of distributing benefits. You know, health care consumerism and health care reform, you know, encompasses a lot wider, you know, scope. Mm-hmm. Like, Definitely. Like, and, I, you know, a lot, of the, a lot of the feedback that we had at Forum, you know, was exactly around that. And for those of you who are not f- familiar with Evolution 1, um, you can check out their website. You know they've they've been a player in the space for a long time, and and I think what we saw at West or sorry at, at IHC Forum and Expo here in Atlanta, we had a lot of investors walking the floor. <laughs> you know, there's some investors out there saying where's where is this market going and and trying to get a handle on on all the emerging solutions. To your point on on Castlight and you know the evaluation that they had um, that came out that that woke. That investment, you know, group up and and really put a focus right here on this healthcare space. Yeah, it, it, it's here and it's moving. And you know, Evolution One is, like you said, one of the the leading uh, players in the administration part of the space, administering defined contribution, administering you know, health benefit accounts from FSAs to uh, HSAs to HRAs. Yeah. Uh, and you know, part of part of our role in helping guide this industry is the creation of tools like our guide on private healthcare exchanges. You know, talk to the market a little bit about what we're doing. PrivateHealthcareExchange.com. Right? Yeah, good. You know, and we've mentioned this before with private healthcare exchanges. It was kind of you know something that that we looked at the market and and we're lucky enough to get the the web domain PrivateHealthcareExchanges.com plural. So um, if you look at if you look at our business model. Um, you know, we're the information resource. And so what we, what we aim to do and did is we actually pulled together, you know, all the, the different private exchanges out there, the technology partners, um, the platforms themselves, and are actually going to be adding a new element to that. Um, here in the coming weeks is the players who want to get inside of these exchanges. Therefore, maybe a voluntary benefit player. Uh, maybe we can ask Jeff, you know, what's, what do they see their role in the exchanges? So we're going to actually add another silo to privatehealthcareexchanges.com that allows for people to understand who are the players that want to be inside of these exchanges. So it's going to, it's going to be a continuing moving target too. We've got, Close to 150 exchanges in yeah. the guide right now, and we believe that's the largest uh, 
single database guide in the in the industry right now, but it's it's moving quickly and changing. Yeah, there's day. 150 now. There could be 160 next week. It's something yeah. that um, Jonathan Field, who who runs that side of the house for us, who updates um, on a regular basis. And there is a subscription model to that. Um, one of the things that we're finding is you got a lot of health plans who are signing up um, to to go through and and really vet the players out there. And Mm -hmm. we were talking to some people in the industry. A lot of people were pulling together these Excel spreadsheets on who are the players out there and what are they doing. When we talked to them, we said, we've done that for you. We have that, you know, categorized for you. We have it built out for you if you're an employer uh, who's looking at exchanges, if you're a broker trying to figure out who accepts you as um, a distribution model for these exchanges? You can find that out. Uh, single carrier, multi carrier. Who are the who? What are the options um, inside of these exchanges? Is there a voluntary uh, player in there? Is there you know hearing that has hearing dental, whatever that may be, um, transparency in there? So you can actually go and and search the database for the information that you need, but also keep up to date on what others are doing. So the the solution providers out there, we actually have stories on what they're doing, what they've put in place, what are their challenges, what are their successes with their exchange model that they've moved to. Um, so it's it's really a platform. Um, it's a subscription model, ninety nine dollars for for a month. If you want to actually have su- access to it for a year, it's four hundred and ninety five dollars. And we continually will update um, one the database, but continue to build out what is in um, you know the different buckets there yep. as well. And there's information resources there, as you stated too, around around the guide. Mm-hmm. You know. We're also excited about, you know, helping this industry move forward, you know, advance this industry. You know, you alluded to the fact that we're an information uh, resource, we're an education resource, and we are the collaborative, you know, community. Part of the educational, uh, uh, you know, opportunities that we're presenting to the marketplace to help the market, you know, grow and advance is our, is our new certification program, Certified uh, in healthcare consumerism. Mm-hmm. Some might ask, you know, why do I need that? Well, first of all, it's just to be knowledgeable of all the different moving parts of healthcare consumerism. Right. You know, to be able to speak to speak, whether you're inside a, an employer group moving that change forward with your C level executives and the rest of your benefit team, whether you're a broker selling it, a consultant selling, you know, selling, you know, clients, programs, whether you're a solution provider. You know, but but the other important part, as far as helping you advance, you know, in professional development and in your expertise, is the credentials on your business card mm-hmm. mean something, right? It, it, it's going to mean that you know what you're talking about when it comes to healthcare consumerism. And it's in you know when when we were developing the test, it's a tough test. It's not something that's unpassable. Mm-hmm. You don't want to do something like that. But what what we really looked at is is that healthcare consumerism had validated itself. And it was truly the megatrend that we envisioned that it would be. And and how could we help um, I'll talk specifically to those solution providers. How could we help a solution provider with credentials that really allow them to walk into whoever they're trying to, to offer a product to and talk to them about their solution to offer them that credibility on, hey, I, I've, I know what I'm talking about. Here's, here's, you know, the credentials I have. I work for a very reputable company, and here's where our product fits inside of this whole healthcare consumerism megatrend. And that's one thing that we talk about all the time is, is how do we help the solution providers out there um, maybe 
position where their product is in this whole megatrend. And that's something that the certification helps them better understand. Um, so when they take the certification program, um, there's mo- multiple different modules that they can take afterwards just to keep up to that's date right. on, right. on what they – you know where this market's moving because it's changing daily. So great, but, but, but great. you know, like you know, like we talked about, it's also equally as important for the employer, you know, in their professional development right. to them to show their C level executive and their management team that they understand the different moving parts of of healthcare consumers. And to your point, the brokers and consultants out there as well. Yeah. And right now, today is the last day for um, actually half off of that certification um, cost. So if if you are interested, if you sign up um, before today, you can take the test um, when you're ready to, to go with that. You just need to sign up uh, before the end of the day today to get that um, half-off price. So if you're interested, it's at um, theihcc.com, and you can uh, find information. I believe you need to click on the, the certification tab, and uh, it will actually take you right to – to the information that you need for the test. And you can just click register now. Um, we do have group discounts. If you're looking to, to get a group uh, certified, you can do that. Again, it's, it's something that you can take um, at your leisure. I think we, we allow up to a year to take the test. Um, so you just need to go ahead and uh, sign up to do it to get the best rate today. But got a great program uh, coming up. And uh, Doug, I think, you know, we're going to learn a lot here on on some of the moving pieces, you know, with Cigna, Transamerica, and Silverlink. Yeah, you bet. Yep. Well, to everybody, stay tuned for uh, the next segment of Healthcare Consumerism Radio. Certification. Do you know why becoming a certified healthcare consumerism specialist is more important than ever in 2014? Adding this specialized designation to your credentials tells employers or your clients that you understand how much our industry has changed and how to navigate that change successfully. IHC University's certification program offers coursework both online and live at their biannual forum conference series, and testing is completed online. Reaffirm your position as a leader in the health and benefit management industry. Download our certification overview and learn more at www.the ihcc.com that's www.theihcc.com this is cheryl linker host of the master gardener hour on america's web radio saturday morning at 11 o'clock join us as we keep things fun and interesting as we educate you in the world of master gardening did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. Solution Providers, are you aware of the Institute for Healthcare Consumerism's multiple marketing platforms? You're invited to get a little closer to IHC with our Solution Provider Membership Marketing Program. Through IHC's exclusive solution provider membership, your business gets an all-access pass to engaging your prospects. This membership embeds your business within the Institute, which immediately aligns your company, its solutions, and your key executives with the nationally credible IHC brand and shows your support of the healthcare consumerism movement as a market-wide solution. And that's just the beginning. Contact IHC's Managing Director, Brent Macy, today at bmacy at the IHCC.com. This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. 
Hey, this is Doug Field along with Brent Macy, and welcome back to this segment of Healthcare Consumerism Radio. You know, before we welcome the next guest on, uh, we were talking earlier uh, in the first segment about um, the note that we got this week from uh, one of the experts in the field about uh, Evolution One being acquired, and uh, we had one of our on-air guests uh, fax us, and our on-air listeners fax us and say that that may not be necessarily true, so... Let's stay tuned to that. We'll, we'll keep our audience informed uh, here at the program and informed uh, via our on, online about, you know, further further developments if it happens, you know, to uh, be so. But I wanted to correct that uh, right away. Hey, joining us uh, on the program today uh, from uh, Cigna, one of the leading health plans in the space and one of the really early leaders in the whole CDHP space is Anna Sabatino, who is the regional segment vice president for Cigna Choice Fund. Anna, good morning. Hey, good morning, Doug. Hey, nice to have you here. Sorry I had to take a little time away to make that correction here. You know, there's, there's going to be a lot of rumors in this space, I think, you know, as fast as it's moving. So, <laughs> Sure, no problem. Hey, uh, give our audience a little bit of background. I think everyone knows Cigna, the brand, but talk to the audience a little bit about the history of Choice Fund, and then we'll get into uh, some of the experience studies and the results from those that, you, that you've done recently. Sure. So um, Cigna has been in the CDH space for approximately nine years. Our branded HRA and HSA is called Cigna Choice Fund. And we've spent the last eight years really studying very um, intensely the population, our CDHP population, and, and really looking at very specific metrics to make sure that we are able to answer some key questions for our employers and customers relative to how these plans are impacting them relative to health and cost and kind of overall experience. What are some of the, uh, the highlights of some of the most interesting findings that, uh, you know, that your survey is showing? So over those last eight years, we've seen very consistent, consistent results um, relative to three kind of major buckets, and um, certainly ongoing good positive results relative to costs coming down with that population relative to their cohorts in our traditional plans. We've also seen very positive results as it relates to the way individuals behave, so in particular, the fact that they're using our tools and really shopping for services and looking for quality providers, that is an ongoing finding that we have over the last eight years. And then, you know, certainly the, um, the health aspect, so the, the real promise of these plans, and certainly from Cygnus' perspective, is that we are able to show improvement in how individuals manage their health and that health actually, by extension, starts to improve relative to very specific metrics. So we have seen that our choice fund population with these large population studies do demonstrate better health scores. So, you know, overall, this, is, this has certainly been a, a very good um, results that we've seen, and we expect to see ongoing positive results. Anna, this is Brent. Um, one of the things that we always see in a lot of studies, your studies included, is that the CDHP plan piece is the one that's actually having the most growth. A lot of the other um, major medical plan designs are, are, you know, remaining flat to an extent. Is it because employers or your member, you know, your members, is it because they really needed to? Costs were getting through the roof, and they really needed to put a plan in place that empowered their employees. Is that was that the bottom line? 
Yeah, so I think there's been an evolution over the last 13 years with CDHP, and if I speak specifically to Cigna's book of business, we certainly saw a lot of employers jump in early on that were totally focused on reducing cost, and Mm -hmm. it still is a major um, objective for them. But I think more and more employers are starting to understand that they have to focus on the engagement piece Mm -hmm. and changing their culture. Mm -hmm. So CDHP becomes the chassis in which they really believe now will optimize other programs such as your health advocacy programs Mm -hmm. and the use of those key critical tools and resources that individuals need to use. And what we see time and time again is that individuals, when they're on this particular type of a model, are going to engage at a much higher level in those various programs and activities that we know are going to help them get to their end state of better health. Yeah, you know, Anna, when when we uh, formed the Institute for Healthcare Consumerism, our our mission at that time was to really help this market build best best and better practices around healthcare consumerism. And, you know, we stated from day one that it wasn't just about the CDHP planned. It was really about the total scope of a true healthcare consumerism initiative and building better consumers of health and healthcare. And I think that's what you're supporting and what you're showing, you know, through the experiences that uh, that you've had with your clients and, and the consumers. Absolutely. And now do you, um, when you're going back to your study, are you looking, you know, across the board at, at your book of business from all different types of employers? So maybe a, a blue-collar workforce, maybe a, you know, white-collar workforce. Is it is it a blend of companies or are you seeing that specific um, companies are moving more towards the CDHP offering as opposed to some of the other companies that might be in your book of business? So I'm going to take that question into two steps. When I, when I answer that based on the study, our study over the last eight years has been pretty much uh, focused on a designated group of employers, mm-hmm. a very large group of employers. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year it was 2,200 employers and 3.6 million individuals. So a, a broad cross-section of various industries are mixed into that 2,200 employer group. And in addition, we are looking at analyzing data for full replacement and option um, sales. So really trying to figure out what happens with these individuals, whether, you know, the selection is an issue, you know, um, or we just happen to have the right population in the study and, and therefore we're getting better results, or are we really seeing individuals that are behaving differently because we have someone who now is paying attention, becoming more aware and present mm-hmm. in making decisions around their health. Mm-hmm. And again, what we see time and time again with these studies, as we look at these longitudinal um, database, is that not only do they engage first year, which you would expect mm-hmm. when you go from a copay plan or a traditional plan to a CDHP plan, but at renewal, the results get even better. Mm-hmm. So that's become kind of a big aha for Cigna that um, as the populations have gotten bigger in these studies that we really start to see much greater use of um, evidence-based 
care. We see significantly higher engagement with our coaching programs and our cost and quality tools. So, you know, this is a different person, and, and they continue to be better consumers as time goes on. Anna, when you look at, um, you know, when you look at the findings from the study, you know, there, there are a lot of myths out there um, around healthcare consumerism or, you know, the CDHP plan offering that maybe it only is for the healthy and the wealthy. What, you know, what is your thoughts around the myths that are out there, and, and did this study uh, disprove any of those? Well, a couple things um, that the study tells us, and, and one is in terms of the demographics, you know, one of the myths were that the, the individuals that were going to migrate to this plan are going to be the young and the healthy. Mm-hmm. So when we look at our full replacement population, certainly we've, we've solved for selection and everybody's in and we continue to right. see good results there. But when we see option situations where there is choice, if you position the plan correctly and you design the plan to be what we call benefit neutral, you will get pretty much the same demographic group in the CDHP plan as you do in the non-CDHP plan. So if designed appropriately, if we have a good communication strategy, if we have critical leadership support, then we find the plans definitely will attract that broad cross-section of the population, and you'll get meaningful adoption into the plan, and you really start to see that trend come down. Interesting. We don't really see you – know, the myth is really based on this idea that – a high deductible plan is going to only attract someone who's looking for a low-cost option. But if you really focus on more of a comprehensive strategy where you're positioning the plan and designing it so that it is going to bring in the chronic care population and your higher-spend individuals because the plan value is set at a place that is you know, close to parity with a traditional plan, you really see very, very strong results. Now, talk to us a little bit about, you know, the design, you mentioned the design of these plans, you know, without, what should an employer do, or if I'm a broker trying to to get my, um, you know, clients to move this direction, what do I need to communicate um, to best show the, the best plan design without shifting just purely cost with these plans? So the approach that we take, and certainly this has been very successful over the course of many years now, is that, again, that benefit-neutral position or approach is about taking their current enrollment in their traditional plans today and then using a modeling tool that Cigna has to design something very specific for that organization that, in the end, will produce a cost minus for the employer but keeps the employees out-of-pocket spend pretty much at parity. Um, and and where we see quite a number of winners in the plan because we also are very thoughtful around the funding, right? So the fund piece is critical that when you design the the plan, that that's set at approximately 50% of the deductible. Mm-hmm. Okay. So There's the- certain rules of thumb or, you know, kind of a science around how you set up the plan and position the plan. And I would say that if you start with an organization or an approach that uses some kind of financial modeling tool so that you factually know that the plan that you're putting in front of these employees is going to be an equal to or better proposition to the employee financially, then you have something that will create a lot of lift first year, so you're going to have less work to do second year, and it's going to have a very positive 
um, impression on the employees so that, you know, they'll talk to their colleagues and, and let them know, what, you know, that they've had a good positive experience under the plan. Now we got, Anna, we got about a minute left on the program and want to want to kind of get your opinion. You know, where do you see, you know, the CDHPs moving in the future and, you know, kind of leave our audience with one or two takeaways on, on what they need to, to best understand? So I think future states, certainly what we're seeing is these plans are really health engagement plans. So we're moving away from, you know, influence simply just purchasing decisions. Now we're moving to let's create a person who really understands that they have the power to change their destiny relative to their health and their finances. So the plans are going to be more focused around tools and resources and um, support to, you know, kind of address those two pieces. Um, the other thing is that, you know, that, that fund amount that's been seeded by employers, we're starting to see employers really look at making that kind of a placeholder for incentivizing individuals to do the right thing. So less free money, if you will, and more incentivized funds. So getting more of a partnership with their employees to, act, you know, to activate them, to use the tools and the resources in order to earn those dollars. Anna, we really appreciate you joining us on the program today. Thank you very much and, and look forward to, you know, having you back on the program in the future. Have a great weekend. And yeah, to you too, Doug. Thanks. I would great, love to. Awesome. So take everyone, uh, stay tuned for the next segment of Healthcare Consumerism Radio. Hi, this is Brent Macy, Managing Director for the Institute for Healthcare Consumerism. If you're a solution provider in this marketplace, I'd like to talk to you more about our corporate membership program that will allow you to showcase your solutions in front of our audience who will be making decisions on what they're going to be putting in place surrounding their healthcare benefit packages in 2013 and beyond. Contact me at 770-296-7276 to learn more. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Membership. Are you an IHC member? Access to the Institute for Healthcare Consumerism's Breaking News industry trends, expert blogs, and networking with IHC's industry-wide member community. IHC membership puts you at the focal point of the dynamic health and benefit industry, allowing you to join the conversation and collaborate with industry stakeholders and your peers. Your IHC membership includes a subscription to Healthcare Consumerism Solutions Magazine, Healthcare Exchange Solutions Magazine, Annual Publications Healthcare Solutions Superstars, and Healthcare Solutions Outlook. A free white paper, and much more. Sign up as a free IHC member or $99 premium IHC member today at www.theihcc.com. That's www.theihcc.com. You're listening to America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Hey, this is Doug Field, along with my co-host Brent Macy, and welcome back to this segment of Healthcare Consumerism Radio. And you know, technology is going to play play a big role and is playing a big role with the you know improving consumer engagement in the marketplace. And joining us to talk about that subject is Stan Nowak, the president and CEO of Silverlink Communications. Stan, good morning. Good morning, Doug. How are you? I'm doing fine, thanks. Uh, you're a little faint here. Can I? I think I hear you. Uh, let's see. 
that helpful at all? I'm there you go. That's great. Yeah, we got you. Thanks. Okay. All yeah. right. Great. Yeah. It, good to have you, Stan, uh, and uh, thanks for joining us. G- give our audience just a brief background on Silverlink, then we'll talk about, you know, some of the things you're doing around utilizing technology and human touch together to improve consumer engagement. Sure. Uh, Silverlink was, uh, is about a, a 12-year-old company uh, that's exclusively in the business of motivating health behaviors on behalf of health plans, uh, pharmacies, and health management companies. So we use technology to motivate incremental health behaviors among consumer populations, mm-hmm. whether they're health behaviors, uh, you know, uh, health management behaviors, or membership behaviors or economic behaviors. And we do this on behalf of, uh, you know, payer clients principally, you know, half a million to a million times a day. So we've been doing that for, you know, a dozen years. And so really the, the problem statement is how do you motivate the behavior of populations at home mm-hmm. as they're making these critical health decisions uh, around managing chronic conditions, getting the uh, preventive screenings that they need to get, staying out of the readmission world, uh, and, uh, and and those kinds of things. So that's the that's the principal business of Silverlink. Okay, uh, you know you talk uh, about the common the combination of technology and human touch uh, leading to successful engagement. So why do you see that being so important? The combination of those two. Yeah, um, you know where we are today in this marketplace, the combination of technology and humans is absolutely essential mm-hmm. right now. Um, and, and where we are today is with 8 million new members coming into these health exchanges. Uh, you know, the critical issue around health exchange populations is, remember, you know, the exchange doesn't have an HR department. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So an individual consumer needs to be directly communicating with the health plan to get the guidance and navigation that they might have in another setting received from their employer's HR department. Um, the challenge here is health plans are trying to manage a an intensive member management experience that happens in any retail market together with their role and responsibility around guiding health decisions, guiding care paths, and getting people into the treatment situations that they need mm-hmm. um, while trying to maintain their ACA cost ratios. And so the challenge is really incredible mm-hmm. to try to maintain in a retail marketplace to support a retail member at the same time you're trying to keep your administrative costs below 15% and you're trying to manage medical costs aggressively. So there's really no way to do that, uh, to manage the cost equation at the same time without using technology creatively to do it. But it's not only a cost issue. What we're finding with our clients is You've got clinical resources in many cases that are using their time very inefficiently today, mm-hmm. dialing for dollars, reaching out, trying to contact the diabetic population to try to move them into a care management program. And that's not something that nurses like to do. They want to talk to patients. They want to guide patients. If they could, they'd spend all their time talking uh, talking with patients and doing that work. So by coupling that uh, team of clinicians with technology, you can actually enable those folks to spend more time sort of at the top of their license uh, managing patients rather than spending their time, you know, trying to identify the right people. Uh, is it the right time to speak to them? Are they willing to speak to someone about this issue? Um, and, uh, and would they like to do it right now? So we can actually increase efficiency of the humans, 
and increase their job satisfaction and have them doing what they're most valuable doing. Stan, this is Brent, um, and welcome to the program. One of the things that that you know we as consumers, whether it's employee consumers or just consumers and on a daily basis of any product, we get a lot of information from a communication standpoint. Is there a risk in this healthcare um, space of kind of information overload to these consumers? You know, it's a real issue, Brent, and, and we're seeing it right now for the first time in the data. And, and, and you can consider it sort of engagement fatigue in the world of consumer engagement. Mm-hmm. And remember, you know, there are a number of decisions that people need to make in managing their own health, and many of them are very important. So, and the challenge is delivering the right information to a person at or around the point at which they're making that decision. So mm-hmm. timing is critically important. But at that moment of truth, you need to have... Uh, you know that you need to be in a relationship of trust with the consumer so they can understand hear and value what you're trying to guide them to do mm-hmm. um, today it is rare that a health plan even knows how many communications they're sending out to consumers in their market <laughs> wow. um, I have a friend who is a uh, an opera a senior manager at a uh, regional health plan and he actually went to the extent of having every piece of mail sent from his health plan to anybody sent to his home address so that he could learn what they were sending to their membership. There was no other way for him to do it. Huh. In other examples, our clients have actually gone out and done clipboard audits uh, of their organizations to figure it out. And the numbers are staggering. Yeah. Health plans send thousands of different communications to consumers from their health plan. Now, some people get completely ignored. They get nothing from their health plan, mm-hmm. and other people are getting completely overwhelmed. Um, and and part of this is figuring out, uh, you know, how to, first of all, see that. What are you actually doing to the consumers? Because remember, the only experience a consumer has with their health plan is communications. So today, this is an uncontrolled process, and there's no lens through which to view how you're treating your membership with the only member experience that they have. So it is a real concern, and I think we're at a point now where uh, we need to introduce controls around what is really an uncontrolled process and um, highly, uh, uh, you know, decentralized. So we need to find ways to... uh, to gain control over the member experience, and, and it is a real issue because when we need their attention, they won't be paying attention because we wore them out uh, in other ways. And and in, and in some cases, to your point earlier, talking about who you, who you work with, it can you know the information can even be quadrupled because you might have a separate health management company trying to communicate with those employees. You might have a, uh, a separate transparency engagement. You know here you know tool you know, trying to communicate with uh, the consumers and members as well, right? Absolutely. The ecosystem is, is, is large and, again, uncontrolled. So you've got right. your pharmacy, your pharmacy. Yeah. you have your doctor, you have the provider system, your hospital, uh, your health plan, your employer. Uh, you know, the ecosystem uh, that is now concerned and increasingly aligned with trying to drive those appropriate behaviors is... You know, is a, you know a broad ecosystem, and their voices are loud. And you know, again, the the key is going to be to deliver uh, honestly less information, but the critical information in a way that is digestible by the consumer, 
and is delivered at times that make sense to the consumer and are and are and are delivered, you know, close to the points at which they're making decisions. That Does that stand how you? It, yeah, it, it, exa- that's a good point. Is is that how you're kind of tying in big uh, big data as well to better understand the consumer members and when and what type of communication to send them? Absolutely. I mean, big data is a big place, and yeah. and we live in a you know we live in a in a in a part of big data. Yeah. You know what we're focused on at Silverlink is really motivating health behaviors and understanding segments of the population and what motivates incremental best behaviors. So really, we're you know historically we've looked at the data about population behavior change. We've tested interventions with that population and then measured which are the best interventions within which subpopulations, and that way you learn things about ethnic messaging and uh, different segments of illness burden and all that kind of stuff. And we've been doing that for a number of years. Today, we're going a little further than that by saying, let's understand the patterns of consumer engagement um, across multiple engagement settings mm-hmm. over time um, in light of those intervention strategies. And that actually allows us to do things like score uh, engagement levels at the individual member. And, and that's actually contributing a new source of data to the big data in healthcare. And obviously there's tons, you know, there's you know, consumer markets look at this industry and are, and, are, and are drooling at the amount of data we have about consumers that they can never get to sell, you know, uh, food products, right? But um, so big data is a huge place in healthcare. Our world is really very focused, and but we are introducing a new source of data around understanding behaviors of populations because, you know, like in many other areas, the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior, and we're able to sort of look broadly across consumer behaviors. Uh, we can actually do a terrific job of predicting future engagement and future decisions by consumers. And that's, uh, you know, again, I, as I say, sort of a new source of data for this this world of big data. So that's some of the new things that you're working on and rolling out to the industry. Well, you know, as I, as I mentioned, um, health plans are a, are, are, are a, you know, the world of consumer engagement in health, can, health plans is a very decentralized, very uncontrolled process. And really what we're looking at and doing right now is helping plans organize information about consumer engagement at the consumer level. So I can create for you a longitudinal engagement record for an individual, and I can also house your preferences and permissions and data about how to contact you, what's most successful, and how you want to be contacted in a way that's accessible by the multiple stovepiped organizations within within the average diversified health plan. And once you start looking at the data as we're doing today, and we have hundreds of millions of records in this in this technology we call EngageMe, once you start looking at the data about engagement, it teaches you things. It teaches you that you're you know, how many times you're connecting with each member, uh, who's getting ignored, who's getting overwhelmed. Uh, who's responding? Who's engaged in your? Who's engaged in their own health? Who's likely to be engaged when you reach out and try and recruit them into a health management program? So, we're just starting 
to tap into this new source of data about consumers and their behavior. And we've developed a technology that allows uh, our clients to look at the consumer through this sort of new window and help make different decisions, how they can reduce their cost, how they can consolidate messaging and make it more impactful, and how they can continue to improve the engagement rate of their of their consumers. So that's sort of new from what we've, we've been in the world of executing uh, multi-channel campaigns to motivate behaviors for years and years now. And this is really taking that taking that data that's been generated over 10 years in a billion touches and and helping plans look through that lens to understand how they can better optimize their business and, and optimize the health choices that their consumers make. Well, Stan, we really appreciate you having, having you on the program. Um, we've got a lot more that we'd love to cover with you and love to have you back. Um, we're at the end of this segment. Really appreciate it. Um, you know, have a great weekend. And uh, to the rest of our audience, stay tuned for the next segment of Healthcare Consumerism Radio. Solution providers, are you aware of the Institute for Healthcare Consumerism's multiple marketing platforms? You're invited to get a little closer to IHC with our Solution Provider Membership Marketing Program. Through IHC's exclusive Solution Provider Membership, your business gets an all-access pass to engaging your prospects. This membership embeds your business within the Institute, which immediately aligns your company, its solutions, and your key executives with the nationally credible IHC brand and shows your support of the healthcare consumerism movement as a market-wide solution. And that's just the beginning. Contact IHC's Managing Director, Brent Macy, today at bmacy at the IHCC.com. Healthcare Consumerism Radio. Learn, connect, share. Join us every Friday at 11 o'clock to learn all those confusing issues around healthcare, Obamacare, Medicare, Medicaid, We'll help you find the answers, help you stay in compliance. Join us Friday at 11 o'clock. PrivateHealthCareExchanges.com. Have you checked out the only online guide where employers, health plans, brokers, and consultants can navigate private exchange and defined contribution markets? Browse PrivateHealthCareExchanges.com today. The emergence of private health insurance exchanges represents perhaps the most significant shift in how Americans purchase health benefits in years. As employers move their employee population into private exchanges, this trend is on a growth projection into the 2015 benefit year and beyond, according to research published by Allegis Technologies. Visit PrivateHealthCareExchanges.com today to browse our national searchable directory and for Healthcare Exchange Solutions magazine and newsletter. Be sure to submit your listing for inclusion in this groundbreaking guide at www.PrivateHealthCareExchanges.com. That's www.PrivateHealthCareExchanges.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Healthcare Consumerism Radio. This is Brent Macy, Managing Director of the Institute for Healthcare Consumerism, along with CEO and founder Doug Field. And uh, joining us today on the program for this segment is uh, Jeff Caldwell. Jeff is the Marketing Director for the Employee Benefits uh, Division of Transamerica Employee Benefits. Jeff, welcome to the program. Good morning, Doug. Good morning, Brent. How are you guys? Hey, yeah, we're, we're good. good. Ready for the weekend. What about you? I heard that. I'm always ready for the weekend. <laughs> yeah. Well, I uh, appreciate you having you on the show, Jeff. Um, kind of give give our audience kind of a brief overview of, of Transamerica Employee Benefits, and, and we'll dig a little deeper. You bet. Uh, Transamerica Employee Benefits is really the division of Transamerica Life Insurance, which has been providing uh, life insurance for over 100 years. 
Uh, we've been doing voluntary benefits for just over 80, and voluntary <laughs> benefits, obviously, the uh, employer uh, contributed or fully employee-paid uh, payroll-deducted life insurance products such as universal life, whole life, and then the supplemental health side, hospital indemnity, cancer, critical illness, accident, short-term disability products. Um, and we have, uh, like I said, we have a very large uh, portfolio of products that we offer and distribute through independent producers, consultants, and uh, our benefit communication specialists. Now, Jeff, what are, what are you kind of seeing out there um you know, in the voluntary benefits world, what's, you know, what's moving, what's, you know, what's the trends, what what are you seeing out in the market? You know, uh, the great news is that voluntary benefits is, is experiencing a big boom right now. Yeah. You know, you look at uh, either LIMRA's uh, numbers that say voluntary benefits grew 9% or Eastbridge's numbers that say it grew, you know, 6% or so, uh, anywhere from $4 billion to $6.6 billion a premium brought in last year. And you know, we're we're actually in a position where we're riding that way. We've had uh, three years of double-digit growth here at Transamerica Employee Benefits, and uh, I think there's several reasons behind that. Yeah, you know, you, you know, Jeff, coming out of uh, our conference in May, uh, there was a lot of talk about supplemental and voluntary and life uh, around the increased adoption of true healthcare consumerism programs, whether it's full replacement programs being put in, whether it's companies moving to defined contribution and exchanges. And, you know, do you see those two aspects as, as two key drivers to where you're seeing the growth? Well, I think as as you see employers redefining their benefit strategies, mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of them are uh, doing full replacements. Uh, you know, numbers show that uh, rollover coverage is increasing. I think we're up to 50% in, from the last survey I think I saw. And, you know, as we're moving to these uh, exchanges, whether uh, uh, private exchanges or uh, company-sponsored exchanges, you're seeing a lot more uh, increase as employers are looking for different solutions to engage their employees. Uh, One of the things um, that, as voluntary benefits has really evolutionized is you're seeing legacy-type products or older-generation products being replaced by uh, newer-generation products. I'll give you a good example. Critical illness plan uh, four or five years ago, maybe even seven years ago, maybe only offered one lump sum benefit mm-hmm. and, the, and the policy was done. Now you're looking at uh, critical illness pl- plans where there's no categories, uh, no lifetime benefit, mm-hmm. uh, offering some wellness components. Mm-hmm. And so I think you're seeing employers uh, evaluate their major medical coverage and then really uh, look at uh, a carrier's plan design and say, hey, does this, really, does this now make sense uh, Going from now that we've gone from a five hundred dollar deductible to a twenty five hundred dollar deductible. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Jeff, when you you know we've got healthcare reform that that all of, you know the whole country went through. We as an industry went through. You know what's what are the opportunities that have presented itself to employers and or brokers carriers that you partner with to to take your solutions out to the market. You know, the, the good news for benefit advisors today, and I'll start with them first, but is that they're not too late. Uh, the time to, to really sell these products is, is now. Mm-hmm. And the impact of healthcare reform allows, uh, you know, the voluntary products to sort of change their game. And whether it's uh, overcoming the, uh, the healthcare challenges or it's simply uh, whether that's through offering compliant supplemental products, whether it's uh, packaging voluntary benefits to offset the deductibles, looking at flexible plan designs. Uh, from, from that standpoint, 
but you also have about you have an opportunity for benefit advisors to to really weave in voluntary benefit solutions mm-hmm. as ways to migrate the out-of-pocket exposures to mm-hmm. these increasing deductibles. Right. And uh, I really think uh, offering these offerings are something an employer wants to do, but they don't, don't just don't always get implemented from a resource standpoint. So, if, so if an employer is out there and say they do have that that high deductible, your your discussion with them is is hey, our products are going to come in and fill gaps in care that are created by that high deductible that you put in place. Is that is that the angle? Yeah, I think that's a, a very uh, great position for for a broker to to position voluntary benefits. But you know, it's really employers are looking to. For, for just more than that solution, I think. I think they're looking to drive down utilization. Mm-hmm. I think they're looking to reduce the physician office visits. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not just the deductible that they're worrying about, but it's the increased copayments. Yep. It's the increased yep. cost share. And I think, uh, you know, high deductibles and rising premiums will continue. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what voluntary benefits can help do is, is provide some rate stabilization while, you know, giving the employees resources to do really defray these out-of-pocket expenses now one of the and you had mentioned it um earlier in the segment here and and i want to get to what employees are looking for in voluntary benefits but i wanted to kind of touch on these private exchanges i mean from our seat we're seeing new private exchanges launch weekly uh, out there i mean are you looking to embed your solutions in these in these what are essentially just distribution platforms for uh benefits to an extent you know we are we are uh we have uh, a dedicated team that's really focused on evaluating. Uh, well, first of all, you got to identify and kind of sort of prioritize these key yeah. exchanges. Right. You're right. It seems like they're 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 growing, and you know, as as a carrier, we we do have a finite number of resources, and right. and so as we identify them and prioritize them, then we really have to determine the technology interface requirements that are going to be involved in that. That's a good right. point. So it's not simply yeah. just a a conversation about hey, we want to partner with you. Now it's uh, so how do we get the technology to work, and whether that's uh, single sign-ons and iframes and, and data file requirements, uh, and we have to do that with each exchange. Each exchange, so you know, those resources have to be really deployed to, to, to do all that. And really, the third part of that is evaluating the product strategy. Mm-hmm. You know, first of all, it's you want to make sure exchanges have a good grasp on the major medical side because that was their key focus. Mm-hmm. And as they bring on voluntary benefits. It's another product discussion. You know, do you, uh, you know, do you put six products, or do you start out with maybe a critical illness or an accident, or maybe a cancer plan? And there was inside. on the on the other side of the house, we were actually having a discussion with someone at um, Benefit Selling who is who has the you know the platform in the private exchange. And the one thing I asked him was about the voluntary piece, and what he said is, I want I can't put every voluntary benefit company in my platform because I got to be able to feed the mouse of those those carriers that I put in. Is that kind of what you're hearing too? Is that they're they're kind of jockeying with how many people they put in? Well I think that's part of the solution is that they have a finite number of resources. You know, mm-hmm. there there is you know if you look at just the top ten voluntary benefit carriers out there, <laughs> if if they go after each one of those you know, they're going to have some challenges that are created by trying to put that many products and, and honestly as a carrier, you know, we want to be the preferred selection. You know, if if, an, if it's an employer-driven exchange, and uh, employees are just deciding between healthcare or different major medical plans, we'd like to be the you know sole provider of voluntary benefits in, in an ideal world. 
Now, the employees out there, um, you know, what are the employees saying? You know, what are you seeing what they're migrating to? Well, you know, we we recently did uh, kind of a consumer study of, of what employees were saying about voluntary benefits. And as you look at the uh, different types of products, uh, critical illness and accident tend to be uh, the, the hot topics in, in today's voluntary benefit world. But as you know, minimum essential coverage, uh, minimum essential plans are coming on board. You're, you're seeing some hosp- uh, a lot of migration toward hospital indemnity policies. You're seeing kind of a revival in that type of policy as sort of a gap filler. And, then, of course, you've got your gap plan uh, that we've seen a, a huge increase uh, year over year and really just supplementing uh, the medical expenses from co-payments, co-insurance, and deductibles. Um, but then again, you know, your traditional life insurance, short-term disability, accident plans are really still a major share of the voluntary benefit space. Well, you know, Jeff, you know, kind of swinging back and forth about the private exchanges, you know, the projection is that private exchanges could have as many as 40 million lives, you know, within the the next two to three years. And life and short-term and long-term disability appear to fare very well in the current projections, you know, going forward. and really, when you look at it as as an employer strategy, those are the really the three key products we really uh, push first. I mean, life insurance, we, you know, Limer says is at an all time low. Uh, you go back from you know back to 1960, yeah. where 72% owned it. Go fast forward to 1992, where only 70% owned it, uh, or 55% owned it, and now in 2010, 44% owned life insurance. So as those numbers decrease, there's there's a huge need for it. And I think as uh, you look at the different generations, how we use that uh, messaging is, is crucial. And yeah. I know you've got, you guys have had some guests on there talking about the yeah. need and the, and the critical timing of communications. But it's even more important in the voluntary benefits world. Yeah. Hey, Jeff, we've got about 30 seconds left. Uh, time flies when we're having fun here. And sure. enjoyed having you on the program. Give our audience you know, a final, final thought or two, if you would, please. You know, as I would say, as the Affordable Care Act continues to alter the landscape of, of, of health care coverage, you know, I think you're going to see employees increasingly craving voluntary benefits. Uh, I think it's important for brokers, consultants, producers to really partner with uh, with a carrier that uh, offers seamless or offers flexibility in product designs to meet the employer's major medical coverage needs and uh, really um, try to make it seamless and simple for uh, employees to sign up. And, uh, and technology, as you guys have talked about in the past, is, is really critical in, in delivering the message as well as the enrollment solution. Thank you, Jeff. Listen, enjoy your weekend out in Arkansas. We'll have you on again sometime in the near term. And to the rest of our audience, appreciate you joining us today. And see you next week at 11 o'clock on Healthcare Consumerism Radio. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.